It's good to be able to celebrate what God's done for us. We should never, ever get tired of it. Because we get so familiar with what he's done sometimes, we just sort of brush it off. But what God has done for us, man, should keep us thankful and grateful no matter what we go through. This morning I want to share a word with you that God has placed on my heart. In fact, it's been burning in there for a while. It's just been to get out. I believe it's a prophetic word for this church. I believe that God wants to position us for what God is doing in the end times, what God is bringing about. And I just want to encourage you as a body to be able to receive what God wants to bring into this place this morning. I've entitled this message, Altering Course. I want to ask you a question. What's the definition of madness? Anyone know? What's the definition of madness? Exactly. (laughs) Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the same result. I want you to hold that thought. You know, today I want to share with you what I consider one of the most incredible journeys the children of Israel went through in the days of Nehemiah. You know, they went from being a people that were down, living in ruins, to a people that were worshipping and praising God. The transformation of what they'd come from to here was incredible, and even within a short time. Most of us are familiar with the story about how they built the walls, but in some ways it's not so much about a story about building physical walls. It's actually about the restoration of living stones. And God is doing something very powerful amongst us as he restores us in the way that he thinks fit. Sometimes what we think it should be is not always what he knows it is to be. And so he's outworking his purposes and his plans in us and through us and around us. Sometimes it's not that easy, but it is necessary. And so I pray just as as God stirred the hearts of people in the Nehemiah time, that God would do that for you this morning. But before Nehemiah came, they were literally living in ruins. The walls had been broken down, and that's actually just a small clip of the wall. It's already been damaged again (laughs) since that time. But the walls had been literally broken down, and the gates had been burned with fire. And there was a lot of rubble and a lot of mess for a lot of times. And living in the midst of this rubble were the children of Israel. Okay, some had been there right throughout the time of captivity for 70 years. Some, there had been a journey of progressive people coming back to Jerusalem after 70 years. Nehemiah was basically in that third group of people. In some ways, it was a couple of generations, 70 years, I suppose, a couple of generations. But one has to ask the question, why didn't they change the state that they were in? Why didn't they do something? And even though the new ones were coming back in fresh, why didn't they suddenly stir the people up and do something? Well, the answer is sometimes people come in under the prevailing spirit of what is around that place. And so those people came back in and they were feeling helpless to do anything. I guess there were several reasons why they didn't rebuild the walls. It could have been fear, fear of the enemy, fear of what people may have said. It could have been feeling that they felt totally overwhelmed. I mean, look at all the rubbish everywhere. Or it could have been that they'd become very complacent. They got comfortable where they were. They got comfortable with the mess around them. You know, they'd done their own thing and, and made their own thing and they got comfortable. And in some ways, when people get like that, they may not have even recognized the mess they were in. And in some ways, the scene in Nehemiah is a very similar prophetic picture of the modern church today, particularly in our Western culture. But not everyone is aware of its state. We may not live in physical ruins, but spiritually it can be a different story. I want you to have a look at this next clip. You'd be familiar with the Titanic, no doubt. Now you see, the Titanic was one of the most incredible ships ever built in its day. The grandeur, all the things that could be seen on it, she looked formidable, unshakable, unsinkable, everything about it. But it wasn't so much above what could be seen that was the problem, was it? 
It was what was unseen that was the problem. Now you see the thing is that as you can see the blue things, that's the bit that's meant to be under the water. They found several reasons, several problems with the Titanic. Number one, the rudder was too short. Because the rudder was too short, it couldn't maneuver between things so quickly. It couldn't alter course. It couldn't change. They also found that the metal plates, because of the, the type of metal it was, became too cold and too brittle. So that on the first point of impact, the rivets just popped out. And of course, we know the rest of the story. It's what was unseen that was the problem. And we have huge impressive buildings for churches. We have the most incredible music teams all around the world doing the most incredible songs. We have the most exciting programs that attract thousands of people. Conferences on almost every Christian topic you can imagine. Christian radio TV stations with the most incredible speakers on there. Tapes and books and you know what, everywhere about. We have so much stuff externally out there for us and yet has it really changed the hearts of the people. You know, we look at the exterior. The Western church looks very impressive on the outside, but actually there's a lot of ruins there. There's a lot of rubble. There's a lot of stuff that's there and it's in danger of collapsing. I call it spiritual Jenga. Ever played that game, Jenga? It's a really a lot of fun. But you, you know, it's strongest in its original form. But you see, it's like we've taken little bits out. We've taken a block out of what God has done and we've twisted and we've changed it and we've put it back on top. And we kept on doing it until it's become a little bit wobbly. I'll give you just a couple of examples, just a few. You know, we are as church, are we not? But over the centuries, we've twisted and changed it to a building is the church. So which church do you go to? I'm leaving the church. I'm this or that. But God actually intended us to be the church, living stones. The gospel has become very man-centered. We've we've preferred a a candy-coated chocolate version of it that's really sweet, but not the whole thing. We've turned it around so that it's more us-centered than Christ-centered. See what I mean? We put it back on top. It's all about knowing God, isn't it? I mean, God restored us that relationship-wise so that we would know him. But we've turned it around so that it's all about him, knowing about him rather than knowing him. And it goes on. The truth. There's so much truth in his word, but we preach only a small bit of it. The stuff that is acceptable to the masses. And we put it back on top in the different order to how God designed it. And so it can waver around. You see, for too long, man has tried to build according to his own, how he sees it. And have we have watered down the truth so much that we don't know how to handle it when we hear it. Because it's so much easier to build our own plans or an imitation of what God is doing and then get him to bless it. I want you to look at this little clip for a few moments. genuine article but sometimes we settle with something that's a little bit less don't we we try and twist it around the way we think it should look and it looks very funny up there but that's what exactly what the world sees and they look at us sometimes and think oh my goodness <laughs> but God wants to do something that is genuine amongst us that will change us deep from the inside out 
Sometimes God just stands back and watches and wonders, when will we turn back to him and do it his way? When will we turn aside or alter course to come after him as a people? God is looking for a people who will humble themselves and pray and totally surrender unconditionally to him, who will allow him to transform us from the inside out so that we reflect him and not us. Then the world will look at us and say, that has to be God. In Revelations 3.14, you don't need to turn there at the moment, but again, God's heart was pouring out towards one church that could not see the state that was actually in. He said, they said, oh, we don't really need anything. We're fine as we are. But God said, no, you're not. You need to look at that. And then he talks about buying gold. He says, come buy gold from me, refined with fire. There's that refining thing. Oh, I don't like that. But God is bringing something. And even a gentleman this morning came to me and said, you know, you know it's about the, the dross, the, the fire and the dross coming up at the top and skimming it off so that it's pure, so that it reflects him. So here we have a people living in ruins, doing the same old thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. What was it going to take from, to go from ashes to suddenly praising? What was it going to take? Oh, I know, I know, we need more conferences. You can imagine the teachers saying that. Or the greenies saying, well, we need more education on how to recycle the rubbish in the walls. Or as uh, Clay spoke about uh, a couple of months ago, he said, we need more books and DVDs on the subject. Or the evangelists would say, we need a show of some sort, some sort of production that we can draw the people in and emotionally move them and motivate them into action. But the pastors, of course, would say this, but we need to meet the needs of the people first before we build. You see, the modern church has done everything in its power to build something magnificent. And it's great on the outside, but on the inside, it's not so strong. And our attempts at building a McDonald's church franchise where we churn out Christians, as many as possible, has produced a weakness. There's no depth on the inside. You see, if conferences and books and material, if guest speakers and all that could have changed the world by now, it would have done so. But God actually wants to do something deep in here. Not externally, but internally. Now that may seem harsh, I know. But God is awakening our hearts to a new reality that can only be seen in the Spirit from a heavenly perspective. It's not what can be seen with our natural eyes that we have to worry about. It's what that is unseen, that which is in the spirit. There are some good things, don't get me wrong, but there's also not so good stuff. But God loves his church. After all, he designed it. He's behind it. It was his baby, if you like. It's his for you and me. And he wants to shape it and mold it according to his likeness. But it's not an easy process, as we know. Because when he starts pointing his fingers at different areas of our lives, guess how many people know it's uncomfortable? It's not very good. It's not easy in here. But why does God do that? It's because he loves us. He loves us so much. You see, God's not training us for a 100-meter sprint. He's training us to run a marathon. And the training is actually quite different to a sprint. And so he's raising up us as a body so that we will indeed stand and not crumble when the times of shaking come. I mean, Winston Churchill, for instance, was a lone voice. In the 1930s, he said, he warned them about Hitler. He said that this was going to be a problem. And a lot of people said, no, no. They laughed at him and said, just be quiet. And even later, when they knew he was going to be a threat, you know, Chamberlain made peace with Hitler. They tried, yes, we've done it. We've done it, everybody. But Winston Churchill was a lone voice. I'm sure there are others, but he was the lone voice speaking out that there was something wrong. John the Baptist was a lone voice. 
There were a lot of lone voices. In fact, a lot of the prophets, there were lone voices warning the people of the things to come. And they could either take it or leave it. But it's because God loves us that he's warning us and saying, man, I want to help you change. I want to help you so that when the time of impact comes, you're not going to have a whole lot of ribbits fall out and you're going to go sink. Don't you love a God that cares so much for us to do that? Or would we prefer to just play around and pretend? Will we embrace his truth, allow it to reshape us? It says so many times, he disciplines those whom he loves. Shall we come, sorry, shall we continue to do what we've always done, expecting the same outcome? Or shall we turn aside and follow him? It's all part of the follow process. And when difficult times come, they will come, believe you me. How will we stand? I'll give you an example. Tomorrow, every one of us here are going to meet at the airport. And we're all going to be shipped off to Afghanistan. But I know what you're thinking. It's okay. We're going to take over the defense force positions there. It'll be okay because we're going to teach you how to put on that nice uniform. We're going to show you how to polish the little buttons that you're going to be wearing. And it's okay because we've got an extra special thing on how to shine your shoes so that they sparkle. It's okay. We'll even tell you how to clean your gun. It's going to be fantastic. Can you imagine what it would be like if we suddenly came under fire? How would we react? Ah! <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So God is preparing us for times of shaking that is going to come. And he's wanting to work deep within us so that what is unseen, what is done in the privacy of your prayer closet is being built up a strength in here that will cause you to stand. Note, it's when the times of shaking and upheaval come, then out because there's an inner strength here, we will not operate out of fear but out of faith. You see? See the difference? And we look at the changes that are taking place here and we think, oh no, I don't know how to handle this. This is feeling uncomfortable. This is feeling awkward. I don't like this. But it's God putting his finger on things so that he lovingly changes you from the inside so that in the times of shaking, you can stand with faith, saying God's actually done something here that tells me and shows me to stand. I was just looking at something yesterday about this Christian group, these Christian groups of students that were in this uh, Dutch uh, university during the war and how the leader of the student uh, Christian movement was told by the Nazi commander there that they, they had to sign a piece of paper and say that they conformed to what they said. And here outside the window, his sister, 12-year-old sister, was tied up by a German and in the truck to be taken away, and they were going to execute her. They'd forced the father out of a job so that he had no income, and they said, we can restore all that if you sign. So he goes to the balcony to address his student mates, and he starts off, and he speaks, and he speaks with boldness. And then before, while the German officer's going like this on the balcony, he hopped over the balcony and jumped into the crowd and ran off. He rescued his sister, and there was a whole group. And they, this Christian movement actually helped the Corrie Boons. But in the time, a lot of them lost their lives. Why? A lot of them here were able to stand because of the depth of love of God. In the times of shaking they went through, they were able to stand. I don't know what's going to come. I don't know. But I do know in my spirit that not easy times ahead are going to be there, but are we going to stand? Do you hear the Father's heart this morning? We can view it in so many different ways, but God actually wants to do something so wonderful in us to help us. So, what made these living people living in ruins suddenly change? What caused them to shift from one place to another? What caused them to turn aside to see what God was doing? 
You know, we can look out there, but it actually starts with us. What's happening here with us? And the people living in ruins seem powerless to move after all these years and living in these conditions. And yet we sometimes forget they were God's people. We are God's people. But God was about to do something radical amongst them, but it would cost them something. Sometimes we get trapped into the fact, sometimes we get trapped into the thing of, oh, well, we'll just wait for the Holy Spirit to pour out. We'll just wait for God to do something miraculous. We'll just wait. In other words, we can sit back and do nothing and just allow God. And suddenly when God's Spirit falls, bing, we'll be changed in an instant. And we'll be the some super Christian that will be doing all sorts of amazing things. I mean, God can do that. But actually, he's asking us to prepare our hearts. While they were waiting in the upper room before the day of Pentecost, they were praying together as one man, praying together as one accord, preparing their hearts. And that's what God is saying to us. Prepare our hearts now for him to be able to work in us. But God uses the most unlikely characters. He uses nobodies to bring alignment and accuracy back into the church. And in this case, it was the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah. You think about it for a moment. The king's cupbearer, he just didn't hold the cup and present him wine. He actually had to drink it first, just in case it was poisoned. He had to be trustworthy. Now, God is wanting to raise up people that are trustworthy, who will carry his heart undefiled, to other nations, to other people. Why do you think God's doing this in us right now? So that our hearts will be aligned with his purposes. The thing is, can we trust those whom God has raised up to lead us through this time? Men and women of God who are positioning themselves, can we trust them? For the sake of time, I don't have time to go into the incredible prayer that Nehemiah prayed, but it was an incredible prayer. But, you know, when he's seeking God, he downloads what God's purposes and plans in order to bring restoration and life to his people. See, Nehemiah is an Old Testament type of apostle in the New Testament, if you like. And the function of the apostle is a foundation layer where they download the blueprints of heaven and they impart it to the people. And they also bring alignment and adjustment back into the body in order to bring, uh, for God to bring reform he desires. In order to bring and to rebuild accurately, they have to remove the rubble first so that the foundations of our lives are strong. We don't want to build on rubble, eh? And they're finding it in Christchurch, they're having to clear away the rubble so that they can build securely. Or in some buildings, they're having to lift it up and rebuild the foundations underneath so they can put the building securely on top. You know, Christchurch will be one of the safest places in New Zealand once all that's done because they're having to really do it properly. So Christ is the foundation and the cornerstone in our years. But over the years, a lot of rubbish and clutter can clog up our walk with Christ, uh, our walk with God. And the apostles and the prophets' function is to establish our foundations in order to prepare us for being his bride and for preparing us for the finish. Now, this is not a new message. This is not a, a something that um, has just happened. It's been right throughout his word where he warns the people. He builds them up and prepares them. See, the other fivefold ministries, if you look at the, the teacher, the pastor, and the evangelist, don't carry that spiritual weight. They don't carry the anointing to bring change, to issue in something at all. They have another important job to do, but it's not their functioning or their role. But apostles and prophets, they're able to speak forth and shift things in the atmosphere. True apostles have the strength to issue in what God wants to impart to his people without buckling to the pressure of worldly mindsets. There's something about the apostles and prophets that have an inner strength in them that causes them to stand and not buckle under the weight of the pressure that comes. But sadly in the days of old, 
we can shoot the messenger. They did it all through. I mean, can you imagine, for instance, can you imagine the Apostle Paul coming and speaking in this church today? We'd probably listen to him and think, what a, what a self-righteous, arrogant sort of speaker. I'll be honest with you. We, we revere what he's written in those books, but he wasn't well-liked in his day. Nor were most of the prophets. They were hated. They were laughed at, scorned at, and eventually murdered a lot of them. So when the truth comes forth, you can imagine the reception that it brings. Particularly when we're so used to a candy-coated gospel. And now the truth is being issued forth. Let's let's position ourselves to to hear it. Nehemiah takes the blueprints he has received from God and he goes to the people with a sent dimension and releases it upon them. And guess what? It took an apostolic word to awaken the sleeping giant oblivious to its state. And God is waking us up with his truth and his word to wake us up out out of the complacency that the church in the Western world has become. There is an awakening that is taking place. And it's a good thing, not a bad thing. It really is amazing what is happening. And the word which God had given him seemed to cut across the facade and expose the condition like a knife. And the truth revealed the true reality of how they were living. Look at Nehemiah 2, 17, 18. It says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in and how Jerusalem lies in waste and his gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild, sorry, come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also the king's words which he had spoken to me so that they said, Let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. You know the root word, For distress in the Hebrew is bad, evil, disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant, misery, displeasing, worse than sad. And it goes on and on and on. Look at the distress that we're in. I mean, how could Nehemiah say that? It wasn't very nice, was it? It wasn't very PC, if you like. You think about what he brought. I mean, it's all right for Nehemiah. He's been living in palaces. He's been living it up with kings and queens. I wanted to let you know, apostles come from a heavenly heavenly realm. In other words, they, they, they download things from a heavenly realm to issue into us. There is a kingly anointing upon them. There is a heavenly anointing there. Well, apostles, you see, we forget that Nehemiah spent three months praying and fasting. Praying and fasting because God had placed a burden on his heart. Look at that. And then God gave him the plans and he stepped out, etc. But prayer is such a powerful key to unlock our sight and understanding, to help us see beyond the physical realm. And to bring huge shifts in the hearts of all these people, he needed their eyes to be open in order to see a new reality from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly one. I wonder what would happen here if we all spent three months praying and fasting. What would happen? What would we begin to see? What would happen in our hearts? What would changes would be taking place? What would be exposed? What would be um, taken off the surface? What love would be built between us? Don't worry, I'm not suggesting that we do that, but boy, <laughs> people are going, Phew, look at that. <laughs> I've never seen such a great sigh of relief. <laughs> but imagine it. Everybody here doing that. We begin to see from a heavenly perspective, not an earthly one. But the natural way to respond to someone like Nehemiah is to what? Is to become or get offended. I mean, how could he speak to us like that? We've been living like this way perfectly okay for years. That's what God wants to expose. Because we've got such an rut that we can't even see the danger of what we're in. So how do we respond to it when truth is spoken? 
We have to be careful not to become offended when the truth is spoken, but allow our spirit man to seek it out. Can we seek it out? When we're not sure, if we don't understand, let's seek it out. Let's talk it over. Man, my response was not too good when I first heard a lot about this. About seven or eight years ago, I forget exactly which year it was, but we went through, the church I was in before, went through a complete change where our pastor went through a complete, uh, amazing, incredible encounter with God that turned his life completely upside down. And then others started going through it. And I didn't like it. I didn't want to be a part of it. I couldn't see why we couldn't just do the same old thing over and over again, expecting a different result. (laughs) But it wasn't going to work, was it? I didn't like it. I didn't want to have any part of it. And yet I could see those people were growing. There was something about them that they carried something, and I didn't. So that's when I started crying out to God. And I was doing pastoral work in that church, and I thought, God, I'm getting left behind. What's going on? So I had to pray, and that's when God started to reveal things in my heart, and I started to see things I'd never seen before, and it turned my world upside down. You know, when God laid it on my heart to come here, when he laid the rock on my heart to pray, first of all, I had no intention of coming here. But I knew God was about to do something very significant in this church and to support the man that God had placed here. But one thing I wasn't too keen on coming was because I knew that there was a huge battle in the spirit over this place. I thought, oh, I don't want to go through that. But God led me here. I want you to know that there is a huge battle going on. The, the battle is over the sight to be able to see what God is doing in the Spirit. And you have to understand there is a battle because our lives get so entangled with what we've always done before. But God's heart is to untangle all those things and to give life to you. To give life. And it will come. So I want to encourage you. This is not a bad thing. This is a great thing because God loves us so much that he's prepared to help change us and mold us and shape us. See, Nehemiah wasn't there to pull them down. He had them in his heart. He truly cared for them and felt God's heart and love towards them. And guess what? He had no hidden agenda. He wasn't there to build his own empire. Simply he had God's love in his heart and for his people and was moved with compassion. And that's our heart for you. There is no hidden agenda. In fact, we're not building any empire. If you know anything about this church, we've actually been deconstructing it. Why? Because you are in our hearts. And I want you to know that. We pray for you. We pour out our hearts before God on your behalf because you are in our hearts. This is a difficult time. This is a difficult journey. And yes, it is a difficult, awkward feeling in this place at times because God is putting his finger on things. But it's because he loves us. So that in the days of shaking, we will stand. What a loving God we have. What a loving God. He's strengthening those foundations within. Nehemiah didn't even judge them, but instead he identified with them, which is a true sign of an apostle as well. Look at what he said. He said, look at the mess that we are in. So he identified with them. He carries a father's heart and he speaks truth in order to bring about the shifts, the adjustment in the people's hearts and minds. Nehemiah speaks the truth and exposes their true position and suddenly their eyes are open. He could have turned up. He could have just turned up and said, hey guys, why don't we rebuild the wall? It's going to be fantastic. He could have done that, but it wouldn't have the same effect. He had to reveal their true position so they could see and understand. And then he lifted their eyes up in faith. So he exposed the things that entangled them and then he lifted them up and caused them to help see that they were kingdom builders. Isn't that amazing? It didn't matter where they were, how strong they were in God or how weak they were in God, but every single one of them was a kingdom builder. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God. 
God has you as part of this body. You're here for a purpose. You're here to grow as one so that we all support each other. In fact, we need each other. And even those particularly in this place that feel the weakest, I tell you what, God is doing something amazing in you because what you carry, no one else carries in this place. I want to encourage you. Don't just look at the strong people. Sometimes, again, exterior things look strong on the outside, but they can be weak on the inside. We're all in this together. You see, we get so used to looking through the eyes of the flesh, sometimes we have trouble working out what's of God, what's of Satan, and what's of the flesh. See, Romans 8 is a great example of this. And this is what God showed me about a month or two ago. Look at this. We often quote this verse, don't we? There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And we leave it there, don't we? And we quote this off and we say, you know, and sometimes when words come to us, we think, oh, you know, is that a God or not? I feel awkward about it. It can't be of God. And we write it off. We can't tell whether it's convictional or condemnation. The fact is that we haven't finished the verse. Look at the whole verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Oh, now that changes something, doesn't it? Yeah. See, when we constantly walk according to the spirit, we learn to discern what is truly of the devil and what isn't. So that when difficult things come at us, we can discern, is that of God or not? And offences do not come because it washes off. It doesn't stick around. And when the truth comes, you embrace it or you seek God to reveal what he's really saying. But we don't run from it. Because we've come so feeling-based, we have this mentality that if it's not comfortable, convenient, we won't accept it. It can't be from God. and must be condemnation. You see, and then we defend our position and we miss what God is wanting to do in our midst. The Pharisees did, did it all the time. In fact, I did it as well. I don't know how many times I rejected what God was doing and I defended my position purely because I wasn't comfortable. But we filter everything through the eyes of what we see. If we're filtering it, if we're trying to see this in the eyes of the flesh, we will never see it. But we filter it through the eyes of the Spirit. We will catch it in our spirits. You see... The Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, offenses fall off and faith comes. When we view things with the eyes of the flesh, fear is produced instead and we operate out of that. When we walk in the Spirit and hear the truth, instead of feeling condemned, faith is actually released in us to embrace it and walk into it in a new level. The eyes of the flesh, fear is produced. The eyes of the Spirit, faith is produced to walk through it, no matter how difficult it may be. See the difference? What God wants us to do is learn how to walk and be baptized and to be filled constantly with His Spirit so that we stand in His strength and not ours, so that we know Him intimately, that we hear His voice, that we grow in Him, so that we're not operating out of the flesh, we're operating out of the Spirit. You see, how we hear this message even this morning will either be through fear or through faith. I pray it's through faith this morning. And when Nehemiah declared the truth, suddenly something shifted in the atmosphere. It broke the power of the prevailing spirit over the place. And God is breaking the spirit of the prevailing things over this place and over our lives, particularly complacency. He's not only revealed their true position, but he's also caused faith to rise in their spirits, enabled them to look up at what God was building. This was not man's plan, but God who was outworking something far greater here. It literally gripped their spirit, and their response was amazing. Look at it. They allowed, they said, let us rise up and build, and then they set their hands to this good work. Basically what happened was they allowed God to open their eyes. They saw the re real truth for the first time. They heard God's plan. They saw it from a different perspective. 
They allowed God's plan, God's word to build faith in them and around their lives. And they obeyed and they set, and they set their hearts to build as one. What an incredible journey. The whole community rose up as one body and began to build. Past problems, past difficulties, past offences all fell away. Suddenly there's something in them, unified them, built them up together because now they're working in God's strength and God's power. And the wall was just a temporary thing. God had just begun. And he's building something for eternity, not just for now. And we often miss that. As I said, it's not about the rebuilding of physical walls. It was the restoration of living stones. And there's so many parallels. And for the sake of time, I don't have time to go into all of it. But just a couple here. But look at the stones. What did they build with? Burnt stones. Isn't that incredible? Burnt stones, refining fire. We are living stones. And for us to be who God wants us to be, there is that refining that goes on. And the dross is taken off the top. Not always very pleasant when they go through that. But man, look at the work and the depth of what God is doing in us. And they, these stones were all over the place, but they were burnt. But now they're being put back into a wall fitted together. We're living stones. And when we allow God to work within us and build that fire within us and things like that, we're actually starting to join together as one as he puts us back into the wall in the right order. Isn't that interesting? But we've got to go through that process before we put back in the wall. You see, life always is preceded by a dying process. But the process strengthens us deep on the inside, that which is unseen. There we have that thing again. And they found it difficult too. They didn't find it very easy either. I mean, a guy called Judah comes up to Nehemiah and says, hey, look, the strength of the people is fading because there's just so much rubbish. The job's becoming overwhelming. You know, sometimes the answer's right in front of our very eyes. I mean, what does Judah mean? Praise. Exactly right. You see, what is in our mouth will either speak life or death, fear or faith. And when the difficulties come, when we feel uncomfortable, when the, it doesn't feel right anymore, do we speak life or death? Do we speak faith or fear? Do we declare God's praise? Do we break out in what God has? Remember Paul being beaten in that prison with Silas? He didn't have a self-pity party. He declared God's praises and the chains fell off. Just very quickly, I just want to, I'm just going to go very quickly through chapter 8. I'm not going to hold up, I know time is going. But if you turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Um, <laughs> can you imagine that? I'm only speaking for you know, a short time. <laughs> I won't speak that long, honestly. Before the men and women and all those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law so Ezra and the scribes stood on the platform of wood which they had made for this purpose besides and there was a whole group of people with them and then Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he, for he was standing above all the people when he opened it all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God the great God sorry blessed the Lord the great God then all the people answered amen and amen while lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And the Lord uh, worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so these men that were standing with them helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. Oh, I love that passage. I'm going to go very quickly over a few things. They went from, look, from 
one worldly man doing their own individual thing to all that they gathered together as all. But all is not enough. We gathered together as all here today. But that wasn't enough. They gathered together as one kingdom man. One's an individual doing their own thing. One is a people that is one. Look at the transition that took place. There was something deep within all of them. They tasted the kingdom and they were frustrated with everything else. Nothing in the external satisfied them anymore. They wanted to go deeper. I mean, building of a wall was fine, but they wanted to know who this God was. You see, true kingdom moves draw people to God, not to a ministry, not to a person, not to a gifting, not to anything else but God. For God will not share his glory with another. So they positioned themselves. And they implored and demanded Ezra to read from the word of God. Can you imagine everybody standing up here and rushing towards Clay or rushing towards Greg and saying, hey, man, we want to know what the word of God says. Can you imagine that? And picking him up and putting him on here and saying, read from the word. Can you imagine that? They were so desperate and so hungry. I wonder if we're hungry like that. Or do we sometimes dust off the dust off the word and occasionally open it and uh, expect miracles to happen by just opening it a little bit? God wants us to go deeper. God wants us to go deeper. They were hungry to know the truth. They postured themselves to receive, not from Ezra, but from God's word, the living word. See, men and women gathered, those who could hear with understanding, and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. It didn't matter who they were or where they were at. They were all sitting on the edge of their seats. In fact, they were standing. Can you imagine that? We open the word of God and suddenly everybody stands up. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Boy. See, they created an environment for God to move in. Can you imagine that? Everyone here standing up almost buckling over their seats because they're trying to get close to what they wanted to hear what God was going to say. I love that they built a special platform for the word. They elevated the word. Not a man. And look at the response. Israel opened the word in the sight of all the people and the people stood up. They went from being weighed down and unresponsive to rising up in God's strength. And they were so hungry for God's word, even if it contradicted their own beliefs. And the, two, the word is a two-edged sword if we allow it to go deep within us. And what did they do? They cried out, Amen and Amen. They came into agreement with God's word. And lastly, look at this. Their response was so natural. Some lifted their hands up. Some bowed down with their face to the ground. They worshipped. Some wept. Some laughed with joy. It was totally natural. There was nothing forced about it. Nothing, come on people, do this or do that. They just worshipped. It just flowed out of them. And guess what? I hate to say this, but I can't find any musicians there either. See, sometimes we think worship is all about music. Now, worship's a powerful tool with music. But worship is our heart posture towards God, whether music is there or not. See, so we're just breaking some paradigms. Wow. I love the bit where the teacher comes, and that's why the importance, the role of the teacher is to break down what the apostolic and the prophetic bring, and they break it down into chunk-sized pieces so the people can understand it. And that understanding caused the unveiling God's word brought revelation which is understanding, repentance, renewed minds, and lastly, release and joy. And it caused people to stand in their place. Wow. What a journey. Didn't take that long, really. It may have been a six months or maybe a year, I don't know. But what a journey from one place of living in ruins to being standing free before God, rejoicing, and being who God intended them to be.
See, they swallowed their pride, whatever they had, they let it go. And by dying, letting that process die, it brought life. And God loves us so much that that's exactly what he wants to do with us today. Will we be a people who will allow him in our hearts to do that work? Because God wants to do so much in us. He loves us so much. I think it, what a privilege it is that we, God cares for us so much that he wants us to take us through this process. And if we stand together, we will last the distance. Amen? I want to show you one last picture on there. This is what happens when man does it. Can you see? It's not very clear, I know. Oh, it's not very clear at all on there. It's the picture of, um, you know, the Titanic, and they've got two skeletons going like this at the very front. <laughs> I couldn't find a clear enough picture. <laughs> but God's not going to let his church sink. We are his church, and God wants to build in us. Let us stand. Father, what a privilege it is to be your child. Father, what a privilege it is that you care for us so much that you're taking, through, take, taking us through these difficult times and causing us to stand on your word, causing us to stand so that there is a depth within us. Lord, you are going deeper. You're not interested in the superficial outward exterior. You're looking at what you're doing on the inside of us where we allow God's truth to come and to rearrange and to reset us in the way that you designed us to be. And Father, I thank you for every person here because, Lord, you love every single person and that your heart is towards them, not against them. But it says in your word that you discipline those whom you love. And, Father, we want to say that we trust in you. We put our hearts and our hands and everything back to you. We want to give you everything. Father, we want you to take that rubbish and that, those things that entangle right away to break off the prevailing spirit of hopelessness, of complacency, of things like that. And we declare today faith and life and hope and joy in this place. So the Lord, no matter what comes our ways, we can lift our hands and praise you. We will not be a people of fear, but a people of faith. And that faith will be activated within us so that we may stand in whom you created us to be. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you. We thank you. Oh, Lord, continue to do your deep work in us as a loving, as a people, Father. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.